Hello and welcome to another episode of the Case Time Podcast hosted by me. My name is Pyle. And my name is Pooja. What episode are we on now? I don't even know. Eight? Is it eight? It feels like eight because six, we had gotten over that little hurdle, had a little hiatus. We did. Then we did seven. And now I think we're at eight. You're right. It is number eight. It's going to be great. It is great. So today's episode, um, we will be talking about the Jonestown Massacre. Have you heard Oof. about I have heard about it, but I've never done a deep dive on it. No. No. I definitely like heard of it before, but I this is my is first, that the like... is that the don't drink the Kool-Aid? Thing. yes it is uh, that was one of my fun wrong. facts <laughs> but you'll I'll, I'll say it later so you know what i'm talking about but yeah yeah so the jonestown massacre let's get into it so this all starts with a temple that was created called the people's temple which was created by a man named jim jones in 1955 in indianapolis indiana and the people's temple was made to like allow people to practice apostolic socialism and taught that, quote-unquote, those who had been drugged with the opiate of religion had to be brought back to enlightenment. The creator of the church, Jim Jones, grew up liking individuals like Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, excuse me, and Hitler. And apparently, like, as he got older, he even, like, outwardly praised people like Stalin and Vladimir Lenin as being, like, heroes, which is pretty creepy. That's insane. Uh, yeah, like who in their right mind would praise any of these people? Um, so he was like really upset with how communism was being treated in America, especially if you think of like the time that it was, like 1955. And he was really, really infatuated with the influence that religion has on people. Yeah. And the People's Temple, um, like I said, was originally created in Indianapolis, Indiana but started to get like criticized because of like their socialist ways Mm -hmm. and had to be moved from Indiana to Redwood Valley in California in 1965. Um, And in the 1970s, they actually expanded, which is kind of crazy. They ended up opening up like a couple of different branches. So like this was something that people were subscribing to, which is wild. It really gives socialism a bad name when people do this stuff in the name of it, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Because, like, I mean, in practice, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. No, but, like... When Obviously, you... his his intent was not great. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, do, and yeah. a lot of the governments that, like, try to use socialism the way that they've used it is not, you know, mm-hmm. the way that, in theory, it should work. Yeah. Um. So, in California, Jones actually got like support of even local government um and ended up like so there was like an individual named george muscone who i think kind of was like backed by the people's temple and this guy became the mayor of san francisco in 1975 and actually appointed jones the chairman of the san francisco housing authority commission so, oh my like, gosh temple was like doing real political things they here, really which... infl- infiltrated yeah they did wow so in the fall of 1973, there was a newspaper art- article that came out that was written by somebody named Lester Kinsolving. And this article heavily criticized the temple 
um after they were there like eight after there were like eight members who i assume like defected and like talked uh-huh. about the temple um and this caused jim jones and his attorney to make like contingency plans for how to keep the temple alive should something happen to like cause them to force like shut their doors yeah and after like after having already received criticism that drove them out of indiana um the, all of this brewing in california like really got under jones's skin and like made yeah. him very serious about making a contingency plan so their options when they were talking about this included fleeing to canada or a caribbean missionary post in a country like barbados or trinidad but they ended hmm. up going with guyana and in 1973 made a resolution to make an a agricultural mission there so why guyana why guyana and like you know where specifically is it so guyana is at the top of south america right next to a country named suriname and they chose guyana because of their socialist politics and a former temple member by the name of tim carter said that the temple chose guyana because of their perceived dominance of racism and multinational corporations in the united states government uh tim carter also said that the temple figured that with guyana being an english-speaking socialist country that had a pretty predominant like indigenous population which had a government with black leaders that their black temple members would feel peaceful living there since a large number of individuals in the people's temple were um black Hmm. So Jones also thought that Guyana was a small and poor country and that it would be pretty easy for him to get influence and protection from the Guyanese people in like exchange. It's very predatory. Yeah, I'd say. I mean most missions are. Yeah. He presented the government like the guy like of Guyana the benefits of having the people's temple there. So he's like going there and being like, yo we really should, you know, find ways to move our temple from the United States to Guyana and like made a case to them saying that their settlement, uh, having it there would be an advantage of having an American presence near the border that was currently being disputed between Guyana and Venezuela. So he was like having an American presence near that border would just help influence the fact that like it's your border and it's not Venezuela's. It would make it harder for them to like claim it. He's really old to think that he holds that much power. I would say. Uh, In Hmm. 1974, Jones and the Temple leased an area that was over 3,800 acres in Guyana. And that was about 150 miles west of the capital of Guyana, which is Georgetown. Uh, The area of land was close to the border of Venezuela that Guyana was currently disputing with. And the area that was selected was on land that was not really fertile. And it was about seven miles away from water, which was only accessible by muddy roads. So it, it's not sounding This seems like, like a well-thought-out plan. You know, it's, it's not. <laughs> that sounds not smart. It does not seem very well thought through. Or sustainable. No, I mean, like, not having fertile lands. Like, you're, how are you supposed to farm anything? And I'm assuming, like, one of the biggest things in that would be self, like, being self sufficient, you know, in their assume. little, the little, little cult, little cult. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't realized already, 
the people sorry was that a spoiler i really don't think it was a spoiler (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no the people's temple is really a cult um so now we can get into like the actual making of what they ended up calling jonestown which is what they built in guyana so 500 members began working initially on building jonestown and the temple tried like during that time frame to encourage more people to start moving there and jones saw jonestown as being a socialist paradise and also as a sanctuary for media scrutiny. In 1974, Guyanese officials allowed the temple to import items at a duty-free rate and supposedly payoffs also allowed for other materials like guns to be brought safely into Guyana. Uh, Jones eventually got an agreement in place with Guyana that allowed for a mass migration of individuals from the People's Temple to Guyana and said that those coming here were quote-unquote skilled and progressive and flaunted an envelope that he said had $500,000 cash in it and said that the group's assets along with this money would be invested into Guyana. Mm. Jones spoke of Jonestown as being a benevolent communist community and said that quote unquote, I believe we're the purest communists there are. And uh, end quote. And even Jones wife, who was a Marceline said that the Jonestown is, and I quote, as dedicated to live for socialism, total economic and racial and social equal- equity, we are here living in community. But mm. I mean, it, it's a socialist whatever, but you're naming it Jonestown. Your last name is Jones. <laughs> like, how are these people, like, I, at first I will come out and say that, like, being in a cult, like, for sure changes your way of thinking. Like, they make you, they oh. almost, like, brainwash you. So, like, they might not have thought anything of it. They probably are looking for a specific type of person to even join Jonestown because it's probably going to be somebody with a little to no family, you know, ties to America. I mean, mm-hmm. some probably do. People who could just very, leave. very impressionable, young, uneducated. I mean, it's like a breeding ground for cult vibes. Exactly. And like, I guess technically, since he was the founder, people might have been like, oh, that makes sense. You he made probably it. was very charismatic to people. Probably, like, for people who were really, like, on the verge of society and who bought into yeah. this kind of stuff, like, he was the beacon that they were looking for. To think, like, grow, like, if you're growing up without a sense of community and you finally find this community that seems to be welcoming you. You're not going to want to let mean, it go. Exactly. You're going to be like, wow, these are my people. Like, they're just like me. Exactly. So I'm going to do what yeah. I can to help them thrive, survive, and, yeah. like, be there. Yeah. So it should be noted that those who chose to move to Jonestown couldn't leave um, unless they got Jones's express prior permission. Wow. And I will say, I'm not sure if that's in the context of actually like leaving Jonestown or like leaving to go to Jonestown, if you know what I mean. Okay. Like once you're there, you can't leave unless you get his permission or you can't even embark to Jonestown unless you get his permission. I'm not sure what the context was for that. Hmm. Uh, so the prime minister of Guyana, somebody named Forbes Burnham at the time, spoke of Jones as being one of the finest human beings and members members of the temple, and that, and they did all that they could to stress. I'm sorry. So, the prime minister spoke of Jones as being one of the finest human beings, and the people of the temple, who like moved there, did all that they could to stress their like loyalty to Burnham's People's National Congress Party. So it's kind of mm. like a two-way street. Like the prime minister is sh- talking them up, and then like his people are backing him. I'm sure the prime minister was talking about because of all the money he was giving them. 
I'd assume so. I'm not like, necessarily, I mean, probably corrupt government. Well, yeah. So in 1977, Jones, along with several several hundred members of the People's several Temple. Several hundred? Mm-hmm. Oh moved God. to Jonestown to escape pressure building in San Francisco for media investigations. Apparently, this, like, mass exodus was so intense that the, like, Guyanese government actually had problems processing like all the people coming through like even mm. though it was established like a fast pass basically to yeah. get them in it was just like overwhelming their government because apparently they had like actually pretty strict borders but oh yeah hmm. so after this mass migration jamestown actually became overpopulated and in 1978 there were just under 900 people living there so oh like God. this is almost like a small, small town yeah it is well it is jonestown. it's crazy well it is jonestown so a lot of people in jo- in uh, the People's Temple thought that Jonestown would be just like he described it, Jim Jones, mm-hmm. and that it would be a form of paradise and a true utopia. Once Jones settled into Jonestown, the life there changed pretty noticeably, and lots of Soviet propaganda was shown to the settlers, as well as documentaries that described the social problems in America. There were bureaucratic requirements after Jones arrived in Jonestown that sucked away labor resources for other needs, which led to buildings falling into disrepair and weeds starting to pop up more and more in the fields. There were school and nighttime lectures for the adults there, and those eventually morphed into discussions that Jones led about revolution and enemies and lessons on Soviet alliances. During the first six months of being in Joe's town, Temple members worked six days a week from 6.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. and had one hour to eat lunch during the day. Yeah, so they're like they're laboring pretty hard at this place. They just like entered a like a type of enslavement contract going to Jonestown. Uh yeah. I mean like six thirty to what is, what is Jonesy? What I wonder what he's doing. Yeah. I mean six days a week and so like That's after like after the working all day, they still had educational things that they had. Oh to my do. god. It wasn't like just over at six. They so, basically entered like a like a camp, like not, I don't, it's definitely not, I don't want to say a concentration camp, no. but like a work camp. Yeah. Like, a, like they, like eat, lived, they ate, lived, breathed, like lived communism yeah. in that camp or socialism in that camp. Yeah. Uh, so during uh, mid-1978 though, Jones's health started to deteriorate and his wife began to manage the operations at Jonestown more than he did, which led to work weeks being reduced to eight hours a day instead of 12. And working five days a week instead of six. Though after mm. work, Temple members would go to several hours of activities held in a pavilion, which included classes on socialism. Jones equated his schedule to that of North Korea, where individuals work eight hours a day and after go through eight hours of study. So uh, his uh, influencers here are not very good people. Not not the role models you want to have. No, not really. Mm-mm. There were mind control techniques and behavior modification techniques used by Kim Il-sung's Korea and Mao Zedong's China being used on temple members. And Jones would read news and share commentary from Radio Moscow and Radio Havana and often sided with the Soviets. Jones would often have discussions about current events and would ask followers for their understanding of these events and would then tell them how to read these situations properly. 
Jones would read and broadcast over the speakers at Jonestown news readings, where he would paint the U.S. as being capitalist and imperialist and being the villain, while social leaders like him, Il-sung, Robert Magabe, and Joseph Stalin were thrown into more positive lights. Jonestown would communicate with the world via shortwave radio and would use this form of communication for confidential reasons to order supplies and, you know, just to like have confidential uh, temple meetings or share information. Mm-hmm. And the FCC in the United States actually cited the temple for using this form of communication for commercial purposes, purposes which the People's Temple viewed as an attack from the United States government. Jonestown was built on poor soil, so as as a community, it was not self-sufficient and mm-hmm. had to import a lot of commodities like wheat. People who lived in Jonestown lived in small communal houses, and some like some of those communal houses had walls to separate their spaces. And these walls were woven with palm leaves. The people of oh Jonestown would eat regularly rice, beans, greens, and sometimes meat, sauce, and eggs. Jim Jones himself, though, lived in a small communal house but there were significantly less people in his house compared to others. And his of house course. actually had a fridge that would sometimes have eggs, meat, fruit, salads, and even soft drinks. Hmm. Punishments for members who had serious disciplinary problems included imprisonment and a six foot by four foot by three foot box. And children with disciplinary issues were made to spend the night at the bottom of a well and sometimes hanging upside down. Didn't even realize there were children in this. There are children in this. Oh my god! For people who tried, oh my to god! Es- uh-huh. wow. For people who tried to escape Jonestown, drugs like fluorazine, sodium pentothal, chlorohydrate, Demerol, and Valium were given in extent in an extended care unit, and all of these medications essentially helped to like calm and in- calm an individual down and like kind of put them into like a zombified state. Mm. So that's what was done to people who tried to escape. Wow. Children who lived there were to be subjected to communal care and could only see their biological parents for a short period of time at night, even though Jones was called father or daddy by kids and children. And oh, my. Mm, so like, I don't like that. They were kind of like all his kids or like the community's kids and like they these kids basically didn't have parents. That's awful. So Jonestown had one nursery and 33 infants were born there. Which is not a small number. Not at all. The commune was primarily run via social security checks that members had got there. And there was up to $65,000 a month from the United States that was destined for members of the temple um, through social security checks that were actually signed over to the temple. Wow. In 1978, U.S. Embassy officials in Georgetown, which is the capital of Guyana, interviewed 75 people from Jonestown. I'm sorry, U.S. Embassy officials from Georgetown, okay, <laughs> which is the capital of Guyana, yeah. interviewed 75 people from Jonestown to make sure that they okay. were not being held against their will or captive or being forced to sign any of their welfare checks over to the temple or that they wanted to leave. And none <laughs> of those 75 people felt like that. So they said that they were doing it completely of their free will and that they were not trying to escape or, you know, didn't feel like they were being held captive. I mean, I'm sure they couldn't say. I'm sure they couldn't either. But like, I mean, that that's a lot of money to just be like signing over. Especially back in the day. Like that's not, is that adjusted for the current value? 
No. So it must have been a heck of a lot of money. Yeah, and I mean, like, I also wonder, though, if the stipulation for people like that moving there was, like, your assets. It's socialism. Like, your assets become yeah everyone's assets, not just yours anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's Weird. that's actually insane. And the fact that, like, in an indirect way, the U.S. government is fueling it, you know, because they are using government money. Yeah, because it's going to those people, and that went yeah. fueling the commune. That's insane. I, I never mean, knew that. Yeah, and I mean, like, all that money is being used to import guns, it's being used to import food and all mm-hmm. the things that they need to survive because they can't do it on their own. How much was it, and what was the year this was happening again? It was... Oh, they were 65000 Yeah, and it was around 1970... Let's go 1977. So 65000 1977. Yeah. Uh, USD. You talk a little, I'll come back with the calc okay with the calculation <laughs> but yeah so i mean when i was reading of this so far to me it seemed like the people who wanted to move there like genuinely wanted to it's kind of like what you said about like people finding their community it's about three hundred thirty thousand ah. dollars yeah wow, that's, that's a lot of money. that's a lot of money that's and also like they're able to get a lot of this stuff in without paying like a lot of duties and like taxes yeah. because they worked it out. So, I mean, that's a lot of money. That is so much money that the government Holy, was just selling out. A month. A month. <gasps> they were getting I didn't that even much realize money that was a monthly. Month. So, oh easily God. by the end of the year, we're talking like over a million dollars. Yeah. I mean, within two and a half months, you're making over a million. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Wow. But we only have like, three minutes left so i think we'll take a break before we get into the next part but we will talk to you guys in a second we'll see you in two bye bye welcome back to case time podcast thanks for joining us today yeah while we talk about the jamestown massacre before we get into the podcast or the second half of the podcast if you want to support our podcast some of the best ways to do that are to first listen if you want to um interact with our podcast you can like you can comment on our podcast follow our instagram case time podcast share our podcast all great that'd be amazing tell us any cases you want to go over sliding door dms are always open yeah um any of that would help us out if you are looking yeah. for ways to support us but back to jonestown so what were your thoughts during the break about jonestown as a whole did you have any i really just thought a i didn't realize that that's how they were getting their funding like i for <laughs> some reason thought that he was just like a really rich guy and they were just like oh. You know, like living on a com- com- communal property. Yeah. Also didn't realize that Jonestown was in South America. I, I thought it would it have been somewhere else. No, I know this now. But oh. I didn't. I, for some reason, when I always uh, heard about it, I pictured just like some random field in Utah. <laughs> so to be honest, I actually thought the same thing. And every time I kept seeing Guyana come out. I was like, this can't be the same thing that I'm right? thinking of until You're I realized like, mm. it was what I was thinking of. I, I really always thought Jonestown was in Utah. 
yeah, I don't know I why actually, I thought that. Yeah, I thought it was in like rural, rural America. Yeah. Is this a Mandela effect? It actually might be. Because I guess we do associate, I mean, no offense to anybody who lives in Utah, but there are a lot of crazy people in the middle of nowhere there. Well, yeah. I mean, like if you think of any, I mean, okay, you and I have been to some, in my opinion, relatively rural areas. Mm -hmm. And when we've been to those areas, it's really easy to see like all the churches and stuff that like pop up or like, you know, because they have no sense of community once you're that far out. No, and that is their sense of community. Like I'm not hating on these people for their churches. Oh, absolutely. Let me be clear about that. But I'm saying that like, that's their, that's their way for like, to have social interaction. It's it's not not, unreasonable to think that that's where something not to be like controversial. Uh Uh-huh. But I really do think that, you know, like missionary, like trips and all that are very predatory. Mm-hmm. And like the the way Jonestown is working is not too different than tithing and, you know, oh. like giving up. I feel like it's kind of not religious in a way, but they are worshiping him in a sense. So it's like he took that model and ran with it to become like a leader you know well yeah and i mean like i mean i honestly agree with your side on that for uh missionary work too yeah reading of some missionary work i feel in my opinion that like it kind of not even some it ignores the culture of the people that live there there's there's a reason you don't need to have people having the same thoughts of you and you don't need to go to their home country tell them that they're living a wrong way and you know absolutely like why don't you get to know them learn their sense of community instead of trying to leech them into your own yeah so it's pretty similar to again this is not to offend anybody who's religious but you have to look at the structures of both objectively and there are a lot of similarities between the two Mm -hmm. and obviously most churches are not gonna be you know like a dictatorship in a way like they do get back to the community you know they hold like food drives and mm-hmm. and they're just helpful like if you need a meal you can go there yeah but like it's like but also notice people take how... it to a step too too far but notice how like jim jones specifically looked for places that would it would be easy to disguise the commune as like a mm. missionary type exactly organization like he preyed upon these people and he took advantage of this opportunity to people make a lifetime trip out of preying on people like yeah. to recruit them into a religion that they never asked well for. nowadays too it's like photo ops and it's you know youtube videos it is and i think it's the offensive work that I did. and i'm like okay who asked real... you to do it <laughs> yeah like these are real people too and let's be real like you were put up in like a cabin that probably had air conditioning and running water and all these luxuries exactly that these people it's don't like, get it's like that tom's you know the tom shoe how like they were donating shoes to kids in yes wow i forgot about that. the issue with that was like they never needed shoes and it put the business people who were shoemakers in that community out of business and they just had like it disrupted like you know their economy because they're like we didn't need these shoes now people are now out of work same thing with i think clinton in the 90s like sent like a whole bunch of rice and stuff to certain undeveloped countries and like when you send help to places that don't need it you devastate their economy because 
now you have a surplus of things that people were doing as work yeah. that you can get for free. So it's like, why take the one thing that people are able to do and make a living to feel like away. to be to get a savior complex yeah. to make you feel like you've done good like if you wanted to do good go to that community and become part of it mm-hmm. see how they are learn their culture like there's a re- like not everybody needs to be the same no not at all it's scary that's why diversity is such like a beautiful thing it's like so it many is. different people make up this world that we live in and there's so many different ways to do it it's so it valuable need to, to have different perspectives same. like yeah, it's scary absolutely. it's really scary maybe the god that you worship is there like they have someone else they're worshiping whether it be like the sun like it's still somebody that they look up to exactly just not you don't your need god. to take that away from them and tell them that their version of what they believe in is basically it's wrong, wrong exactly. and like not realistic it's like okay but is yours yeah, so like what makes I, you think yours is right either. I've never really been part of an organized religion. So again, I can't really Same. speak on the benefits of it. Neither can I. But I always thought that like cults and them do have a little bit of a similar structure. Especially evangelicals yeah. and those kind of religions. Well, and again, this might be controversial to say, but Jones was infatuated with the idea of what of like the influence religion has on people there's a reason why he was infatuated like that um, religion can be used as a very powerful tool to i don't want to say well yeah you can weaponize people with it absolutely you can use it as a form of control and there's a reason why he liked it i mean the power you get from people following you mm-hmm. is lot. Like oh, when yeah. you become the point person for that, it's like, wow, I can do whatever I want under the name of so-and-so. Exactly. And they're going to listen to me because they think I'm a messenger of so-and-so. Yeah. What was, do you happen to know, like, was Jonestown just supposed to be like, oh, he's a really great guy. We're going to live in this utopia, socialism utopia thing. Did he have a greater good? Like, or was it just like, oh, we're just going to work together and get rid of like, not no capitalism whatever like was that was that the greater good or did he have like a religious aspect into it at all no i think the greater good to be honest was just the fact that they wouldn't be subscribing to capitalistic practices i see so he probably also then it's that common theme of like you see what people are angry at you Mm -hmm. voice that oh i'm angry at it too they identify with the fact that they're you both are angry at it and then you seem to have a way through it right you know like when people when people go through elections and stuff, it's like this po- politician might not be the best candidate, but he's saying things that people wouldn't say mm-hmm. to get their trust. Mm-hmm. But that is manipulative because mm-hmm. they're doing that on purpose to gain your trust only it's to backstab a narrative. Exactly. Yeah. It's really easy. Like all they had to do was sit down. Who's the most vulnerable population that I can impact the most and then herd them like sheep. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Oh, 100%. I mean, I just finished reading, um, what was it? Oh, it was uh, Counting the Cost, actually, by Jill Duggar. And I thought it was interesting because she gives, like, her perspective on everything that happened in the Duggar. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Everything that happened in the Duggar family. Yeah. And it's, like, crazy because she basically also grew up in a cult with the teachings of Bill Gothard and 
um, IVLP, which is the Institute of Basic Life Principles. And it's scary to see like how similar almost these like people come forth and are like, my way is right because of Mm -hmm. this and this. You all believe this and this and this. So as such, you should follow me for this and this and this. To get to where I'm at. Exactly. To get to this stage or this point or to reach this collective common goal that we all have. Mm -hmm. But what they don't realize is like there is no common goal for for the higher ups. That common goal really only exists amongst the lower ranking people in in that church. I don't want to speak ill of any religion, but like FLDS and LDS Latter-day Saints, they do have a similar structure to that where you work towards a school of priesthood, right? Mm -hmm. Your whole life is to be, be able to teach the speakings of Joseph Smith. But if you mess up or you come out as LGBTQ, you're allowed to be in the church, but they take that away from you, that ability to be a priesthood. Mm-hmm. The second you say you're gay, you're doing all this. It's like, so now you took that one goal that they wanted and you're still claiming that they could be part of that community, but you're still ostracizing them, them in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah. And it's like so manipulative because if it if there is, if there was a, you know, omnipotent God, all being or whatever, he's not going to care that you're gay. Like, Well, also if God were not, truly omnipotent and actually like a being they would understand why you made the choices that you made and why you were led to believe the things that you believe yeah and i guess like judge you based off of that perspective exactly and to take somebody the fact that they take hood priest take away priesthood is a slap in the face to somebody who has devoted their whole entire Mm -hmm. life to this religion and so i think it's i mean i don't know how the jonestown pans out with it but if he takes away like their common goal, like, oh, we're not going to be doing this anymore. Like it's going to devastate those people because they've given up their whole lives now. They've lost so much money and they're just trying to be to in this such, community. Like an extreme side yes. of living that like if they were to assimilate back into like normal culture, they really wouldn't Just to be accept able to. them. No, Who's nobody accept would. Them? Especially like you think about the time, like in our last podcast, we talked about like the Red Scare and how uh stranger things like kind of was a little bit of an example of this picture that kind of a time frame where people were so scared of the influence Mm -hmm. of soviet like you know the soviets and and that's still lasting today i mean look at the repercussions it had on bernie sanders the fact that he even said he was a socialist right people were like oh devastated his chances on becoming a potential candidate easy yeah yeah it's insane like there unfortunately there are stigma there is stigma a super strong stigma is around things that you just cannot escape once you go down too far but it is still possible to get reintroduced in society but like you need to be around people that are not only open-minded but are willing to trust you again because you fell victim to something that objectively was not (laughs) not a good idea no not something that you should have easily subscribed to exactly but and then i mean then we also have to look at like what are the background of these people these are this is a vulnerable population we can't they're not to like they're not necessarily the ones that are to blame right in this completely agree yeah we don't know what 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 led them in their daily lives to be like this is what i identify with and this is what And they just wanted a community at the end of the day yeah Yeah. they founded like-minded individuals and they clung on to that so they thought so they thought yeah but 
So Jones told the people of the temple that the CIA and other intelligence agencies were conspiring with capitalist pigs to harm and get rid of the settlement Hmm. and those that live there. As such, the temple on some nights uh, where an emergency was declared would have what was called a white night. And Jones would sometimes offer the following options to temple members on these white nights. And they would be to flee to the Soviet Union, commit revolutionary suicide, stay in Jonestown and fight or flee to the jungle. On two different uh, white nights, members voted on revolutionary suicide and a simulated mass suicide was rehearsed. A defector named Deborah Layton described what these rehearsals were like in an affidavit, which I'm going to read now. Everyone, including the children, was told to line up. As we passed through the line, we were given a small glass of red liquid to drink. We were told that the liquid contained poison and that we would die within 45 minutes. We all did as we were told. When the time came when we should have dropped dead, Reverend Jones explained that the poison was not real and that we had just been put through a loyalty test. He warned us that the time was not far off when it would become necessary for us to die by our own hands. That's pretty crazy. That is terrifying. <laughs> like, they legitimately thought that that was real. Like, I read that at first and I was like, oh, they all know it's a drill. Like, it's fine. But it doesn't make it seem like it, it was a drill of any sorts. Like, that they you know weren't led to believe it was a drill. These cults were rampant. And I want to say, like, from just from the 50s to the 80s. I mean, look at like, the Charles Manson cult, right? The Manson family cult. Mm-hmm. They were willing to die and commit these awful things for people that obviously were not going to do it themselves. Yeah. And I wonder if that also falls back on the fact that they knew, like, if I go to the Soviet Union, that would suck. If I stay in Jonestown, that would suck. I can't go back home. People are mad at me. Well, to be it honest, really isolates I don't, them. I don't know that they thought that so like going to the Soviet Union would suck. Really. I think from the way that Jones was preaching it, he made it seem like they were living the life that we want to get to. Really? I mean, because he's praising these these kinds of people and these kinds of societies to these individuals and saying that, like, basically and... they have it right and we don't. And, like, we need to um, do everything that we can to be like them. What would be the point of what is so revolutionary about mass suicide? To not... You know? I think for their perspective, committing revolutionary suicide, A, would send out the message that we believe in In what we're being told. We're ready to die for our cause. They want to be a martyr. They want to be a martyr, but also that they would much rather die by their own hands than have to be forced Mm. back into a society that was, Mm. you you know. Just not been, like, just very negative for them. Well, that was capitalist. They'd rather die and go back to that kind of a life. That is really... It's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, because I don't have that... I mean, grateful that I don't have that, but also privileged to not be falling victim to that. But, like... I just... What was so... horrific about capitalism and... The, See that like, I don't know. And all of these like readings, I don't love capitalism. Don't get me wrong. I think it's not a great thing. Like no. But like, is it really conflicting? Like ruining is it my that life? Bad that I'm ready to commit suicide. No. 
to know. But, but I, I don't know. I mean, one of the interesting things I found while reading this, and honestly, it could also just be because maybe I didn't look enough for this, was testimonies from people who moved there about why they wanted to move there. Like, other than ascribing to this culture, like, what in their personal life did they go through that led them to believe that capitalism wasn't for them? And, like, even for Jones, like, maybe I just didn't find enough about, like, his background. But, like, why, what led him to even make this? I feel like he used capitalism as a scapegoat in order to just get a lot of control over Over a large large amount amount of people. people. Yeah. I mean, did he drink the Kool-Aid? I don't know. When in this trial thing, like, what was his loyalty to Jonestown? He was really loyal. Would they have all killed themselves and then he just gets to live? You know, I mean, we'll have to find out, but we will. We will. So it was cyanide that was going to be used as the poison. Oh my God. I know. And the temple apparently got a half pound shipment every month since the year of 1976 because Jones bought it using a jeweler's license that he obtained and he bought he bought the cyanide under the guise of using it to clean gold. So there was enough poison present. And Jones was becoming very paranoid and was worried that the government would raid the commune. And if that happened, he worried that members could not resist an attack. To prepare, Jones would call alert, alert, alert on the loudspeakers so that temple members could gather in their central pavilion. He'd post armed guards there to surround the pavilion. One of these drills lasted a total of six days. And what? Jones mm-hmm. oh my and Jones saw this as being representative of the com- community's indomitable spirit. Now, supposedly, this began due to a court battle that started with two former temple member- members who wanted custody of their child. Because remember, in this commune, you have a child. It's not your child. It's the community's child. And they were suing Jones and the temple for the fact that they like wanted the rights of their child. Well. And that's fair. And that is fair. <laughs> that's more than fair. Yeah. And Jones feared that he would be in contempt of court. And because of this, he ended up staging a fake sniper event, which led to these like white knights and what they called the six day siege, which is where they like basically waited for attack for six days and, you know, were tested. I wonder if he also was like more so, like he's using the excuse, like, oh, the, the capitalist people are out to get us whatever realistically he's committed a lot of crimes here yeah like, and i mean for he's embezzling these... money in my opinion and right. like if he were children. to yep and if he were to ever go back like he wants to get as little people to testify against him and he probably just doesn't want to go through all that no but like also remember that he's controlling the narrative here these people True. don't have access to like the, uh, the times were so different anything though. like he is their mouthpiece the mouthpiece of news because he's yeah. broadcasting it and talking about it and they're all getting it from him so they really just gotta like take his word for it because they're already so like they're already bought in for the culture now they just have to believe that like they gotta keep fighting because of what he's saying and that's why i think like saw that like can a revolution exist in the 21st century because there's too many conflicting opinions there's too 
Yes. And like, you never had that ability to get that insight from somebody else with so much ease back in the day that you can't like that you can now. So I don't really think that's, I mean, this is definitely an issue of the times, but I can't imagine this happening. Well, I agree. I mean, like back then, that kind of isolation Mm -hmm. was really possible because you didn't have such a digital influence. But I mean, like, yeah, now the world's flat. I mean, look at how many ads that we see a day. It's impossible to think. Exactly. It's impossible to think that you could truly, truly have an isolated community. Yeah, no. So Joneswood station members are on the outskirts of the community with machetes or whatever weapons they can make and told the members that there were mercenaries who wanted to murder them and abduct his son. His paranoia reached an all-time high and his wife and others who were outside of the commune used a shortwave radio to communicate with Jones and try to talk him out of the mass suicide, but because of his level of paranoia, which kept going up, he eventually ended up ordering all the members of the commune to actually evacuate. So like where? So they all got into boats on the George River and they supposedly were headed to Cuba. And eventually, uh like that place is better to go at this time. Like what? How realistically think about this. They're in a river that they're hoping that will deposit them into the ocean and in these little boats would make it across the ocean to Cuba. With no rations? With nothing. And apparently, it's a suicide like, mission. Well, yeah. And apparently, like, getting in these boats, like, did cause some people to get injured because of, like, all the mm. hysteria and all that other kind of stuff. And eventually, uh, Jones actually ends up reversing this and says that they're not going to go to Cuba. There must be some, I mean, not even must. There is an underlying mental health condition going on there. For sure. I mean, like, he's... At first, making this temple, hoping that people will subscribe to this. He gets people to subscribe to this and then fuel his, like, will of He's, like, having I, this. I'd seen this one, th- uh, not to bring this back to, like, a shooting event, mm-hmm. but there was a mass casualty event at this one college. And the shooter now, like, has hindsight and he has been treated. Mm-hmm. So he's actually very outspoken about the shooting and he has spoken with uh, one of the victim's fathers on a oh, podcast. Wow. So that was re- not a pocket, but it was very. And he was saying at the time he was showing signs of early onset schizophrenia. But to him, the the ease of everything happening, like, oh, I was able to buy a gun or whatever. Like he thought God was talking to him. Mm. and the ability for things to happen so easy just reaffirmed that ability like that thought that he was part of god Mm. so i wonder like if him getting so many people to subscribe you know it just fuels that idea like i am the chosen one it's supposed to be happening like this this. is happening to me for a reason you know and now he looks back and he's like that was clearly not the case like i got a gun just because it was legal Right. I was reading things like that. He looked back on. He's like, I don't even know why I thought God was talking to me then. But that when you have so many people like facilitating things, and then it all happens like so fast, you're like, oh, of course I'm the chosen one. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm so powerful. So it probably just threw like fuel into the fire. Added, for him. I was just gonna say, it just added fuel to the fire. Yeah. He's having all these opportunities that are just reaffirming the fact that like. You're getting all this money. In his mind, he's the government's helping him over there. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's insane. Yeah. So like after this whole drill like took place, 
um, which for Jones, it was a drill. Um, he said that the people who like actively took part in this siege and like readily just like dropped and left were regarded extremely highly by Jones and were like veterans in his eyes. Veterans? And, yeah, like just I what a say, war. Maybe not veterans, but no, no, I know what you mean though. Like <laughs> Yeah, like his frontline like, people like ready to go. Yeah, like, like those they could are, be people trusted. were willing to die for him. Well, because even though Jones knew in the back of his mind that none of these events were, like, real to cause this kind of, like, a response, he honestly saw these two also as, like, loyalty tests. So he's putting these people to the test and seeing what the results were and getting amazing results on his end. It's, like, insane. Like, he's probably being like, wow, I'm sure nobody's going to do this. And then they do more. And they're like, And it's like, he's like, wow, these people are really ride or die for me. I have an army now again protecting me. Right. Like, how far can I take this? Yeah. So black activists actually tried to communicate with the people of Jonestown via the shortwave radio and to let them know that they should hold strong against conspiracy. But Jones, in return, put out broadcasts saying that they will die unless they are granted harassment and uh, unless they are guaranteed like asylum from, you know, harassment and such. From the states? Yes. From like capitalist states. That's because he knows the second he sets foot in the U.S. soil, he is going to jail. Oh, yeah. And eventually, the deputy minister of Guyana actually had to assure Jones himself that, like, the Guyana Defense Force would not invade Jonestown because I think at this point, like, he was getting nervous that the U.S. would influence the Guyanese government to, like, aid in an infiltration. I mean, this amount of power isn't even worth the amount of what's the word paranoia that he's experiencing and it's extreme paranoia it's terrifying he staged this like an assassination attempt like he doesn't want to let this place go he'd much rather obviously like die than let absolutely fall apart yeah so apparently now he was even considering the idea of moving the temple again so from indiana originally to california now to guyana and now somewhere else. So post six day siege, which is what that like really long event was called. Um, and even after the Guyanese government had confirmed that they would never raid Jonestown, Jones was still untrusting and had his members write to over a dozen different governments around the world um, to learn about their immigration policies in case the temple needed to move again. In the capital of Guyana, members of the temple met with embassies of the following countries, which were the Soviet Union, North Korea, Yugoslavia, and Cuba to talk about moving their commune there. Jones seemed Interesting really... response. I wonder why. I know. <laughs> What's Jones... the common thread amongst all those? You know, I wonder. Hmm. But Jones seemed really fixated on moving the commune specifically to the Soviet Union, which is not surprising, and eventually ended up changing his mind and decided to keep Jonestown and Guyana due to the sovereignty that it gave him. So... In 1978, the consul for the Soviet Union actually went to Jonestown and gave a speech and said in their opening words, and I quote, our deepest and most sincere greetings to the people of the first socialist and community, communist community of the United States, quote, in Guyana and the world. After the visit, people from the temple uh, met with the consul to regularly talk about this potential Soviet exodus, Hmm. which is pretty interesting. So I wonder, like, you would think he would want to denounce America, like, and not even say that he's the first U.S., you know, 
thing. You would yeah. think he would just want to be like, I hate America. Right, like don't affiliate us with the United States. Like, yeah. But I I mean, they're still United States citizens at this point. But I guess to be fair, if I wonder if you could get even your to be fair, citizenship but... revoked for. I don't think you can because you're born there. And it's like, if you lose, where do you belong? But like, if you, then you become stateless. But if you, mm -hmm, if you do something, yeah, one, because I'm going through visa stuff, if nobody knows, because I have been trying to immigrate to England. If you lose your citizenship, you do become stateless. What? You don't belong anywhere. Wow. And that's really dangerous because you don't belong anywhere. You have no protection. Uh, that or normally happens in cases of terrorism mm. or like something very extreme. Hmm. And I mean, it also kind of sounds like they're, he's keeping them hostage. So yeah. he's very, probably at risk for that. Uh, yeah, Especially honestly. back in the day. Well, I mean, yeah. It's more lenient now. Especially considering, like, the height of the Red Scare and, like, how people were so nervous about it. Like, it is kind of surprising that the United States didn't come out and be like, all of you people, if you choose to stay here, you lose your ties to the United States forever. And, And like, either... If they did that, there goes the Social Security. Where's their funding? Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. That's, like, insane. Because it doesn't seem like the Guyanese people gave them the opportunity to, like, immigrate. Become part of their culture. Yeah, because, like, technically, if they did, then they would lose that, quote-unquote, ad- I don't need that way of saying it, but, like, they would lose that advantage that they pitched to the Guyanese government of saying that, like, we would be the United States force mm. that's stopping this border dispute that's between true. you and Venezuela. There's just so many contradictions between this and this man's thought Though process. I will say, like, I guess the Guyanese people might have wanted, or the Guyanese government might have wanted to try everything that they could to keep them being United States citizens because mm-hmm. if they get the SS checks, they have the ability to fuel that money back into the government, which is True. what Jones has promised. I just never thought you could use SS like social security checks to you know, like create a whole entire thing of, like to give money to another government kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Like there's a difference between like, yeah, I'm paying for a visa, whatever, I'm gonna use some money I got from my SS check. But like to, they're putting money to fuel and help their government, like substantial amount, a substantial amount. Well, like that's I mean, part of that's like a budget amount. Like yeah, so that's insane, and I'm sure the U.S. was concerned about it, but then they also now have like what 900 U.S. citizens that you know are just in a country getting held hostage by the crazy guy. But here's the thing. Did they view it as being held hostage? Because if they truly didn't... Probably not. I mean... That's hindsight talking. Yeah, I mean, for that time frame, the United States might have just seen it as like, oh, while we maybe might not be able to legally do anything because they, you know, dotted their I's and they crossed their T's, we're still expelling, like, communist ideals from our country. But, like, we can't technically cut our ties with them yet because... I mean, they put Korean people in camps when the... Pearl Harbor happened yeah in California Mm -hmm. it's amazing to me that they around this time didn't do anything extraordinary to you know get them in trouble yeah especially a socialist well yeah I mean like this the U.S. really was like out of sight out of mind with this 
<laughs> like actually they were <laughs> like that's insane. they were like well it's not our problem right now so we're not gonna deal with it that's insane plus like i mean in the grand scheme of things in the whole entire population of the united states 900 people is not that much and no, unless that's you like a were high school. right and unless you were really local to where the people's temple first was raised in indianapolis yeah. or in Redwood, california you'd have no idea what they're even talking about and i mean they're having to mail people to get immigration questions so i mean of course there's probably a lot that it's just hit it like that's what i mean like there's no possible way that any of this could happen i mean there absolutely is a like yeah there's probably like there's always a possibility but in like a metaphor kind of way there's no possible way this could happen now because you have so many people that are just able to upload a video to the anywhere in the world well, and like yeah if people were in jonestown and they were uploading this that would be like a, na- a whole international news well in today's world i mean like you got tiktok you have snapchat where like mm-hmm. you can even go in snapchat to other countries on and the just map see what's and going just on see what's even going on it just takes one person to open their mouth and be like, eh. plus, especially like technology was not, I assume, as integral as a part of their life as it was today. And those people aren't like itching to have devices in their hands. Like we understand mm-hmm. the value of having that kind of access and connection to the world. Like to me, it's kind of scary now to think of not having that connection to other people across the globe so easy. It just shows you like how much community impacted people back in the day yeah because you can get a community anywhere online now and you can try and fit in there's all kinds of creepy communities online yeah (laughs) yeah so now i guess now like i i guess back then the government would have to do extraordinary work to infiltrate that right they'd probably have to send somebody out see what's going on take that risk confirm that it's all even happening and then come back come up with a plan and go now it's like you have a whole cybersecurity team who's going through everything and they still miss things so it's like there really is no foolproof way for the government to stop people doing anything crazy no um we're gonna get cut off again so (laughs) we're gonna have to take a break So we're going to take the second break and then we'll come back and then we will keep talking about Jonestown. Awesome. See you soon. Welcome back for the second time. Yeah. We're talking about Jonestown Massacre. We are um so i'm gonna pick up where we left off and i'm gonna talk huh i did a little research in between our little break did you and i'm sure this is the person that you were referencing for the affidavit Mm -hmm. but she actually ended up writing a book about jonestown what and everything like she went through Mm -hmm. and um basically she's there was a quote from him that said what you need to believe in is what you can see. If you can see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you that don't have a father, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. And if you see me as your God, I'll be your God. Whoa. So he was really, and I was just reading on her experience. And she said that by the time they traveled, they traveled 24 hours to get there, nine hours on a boat, two hours on a flatbed flat bed truck Mm -hmm. 
She said that they knew they were going into a concentration camp. What? Because it was armed guards. And like, I guess essentially Jamestown helped coin the term cult. People didn't really know what it was at the time. Wow. Is that insane? And her brother is actually one of the only people that ended up becoming, getting arrested out of this whole thing. And she said that he's serving the time for the crimes a thousand people committed. You know, like he's being used as a scapegoat. Yeah. But it was a really interesting. She had joined it early on, 18 and 19. She had seen it as oh, wow. more of a humanitarian thing. He was preying on just out of college students because they want, he wanted rich parents to give them money. And then he was also preying on older black, the older black community for them to get the SS mm. checks. Wow. Is that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. Um, keep going. So at the end of 1977, slash the beginning of 1978, two defectors by the name of Tim, Tim and Grace Stowen met with relatives of Jonestown residents at the home of another defector by the name of Janine Mills. And this group called themselves Concerned Relatives. Tim started mm-hmm. a letter writing campaign to the U.S. Secretary of State the Guyanese government, and went to Washington, D.C. to hopefully have an investigation into Jonestown launched. In 1978, he also wrote a letter to Congress that outlined his grievances and asked congressmen to write to the Prime Minister of Guyana. In the end, 91 congressmen wrote letters, including one such congressman by the name of Leo Ryan. And mm. on February 17th of 1978, Jones gave an interview to San Francisco Examiner reporter Tim Reiterman after and after Tim's story that was originally published about the current custody battle, which I mentioned, where the parents were suing for custody of their child, yeah. um, was like pretty much put out there, and um, which the Temple threatened to sue over, like the article being put out. Um, as a result of this article, people who were supporters of the temple actually started to become suspicious. And this article started to once again paint the temple as being in, <clears throat> excuse me, a bad light. So <laughs> this group eventually ended up distributing documents that outlined human rights violations at the hand of Jones and ended up getting a lawsuit filed against the temple with other temple members and asked for $56 million to be paid in damages. In turn, the temple actually sued Stowen back and asked for $150 million in damages. Jones got help from a man named Mark Lane, along with a person named Donald Freed, and both of these individuals were Kennedy assassination conspiracy theorists. And they held a press conference where they said that none of the charges against the temple were true or accurate, and that this was a massive conspiracy against the temple by intelligence organizations and specifically named CIA, FBI, and for some reason, even the United States Postal Service. Mm. So essentially in the time that followed all of this, of the article being put out and the letter writing campaign, um, that Congressman that I named uh, Leo Ryan decided that he wanted to go and see Jonestown for himself. And Mm -hmm. he, along with some of these concerned relatives and a group went down along with reporters and some news individuals. On November 17th of 1978, the group group arrived in Jonestown and was surprised to be welcomed with food and honestly, basically like a little welcome party. They were not expecting this, even though originally they were actually met with some like resistance. 
mm-hmm. of them being brought even to the commune. Um, but eventually they just decided that they were going to go and like nobody was going to stop them. She, the survivor that her name is Deborah. Mm-hmm. She said somebody asked her what she thought about what was the senator's, the congressman's name again? Leo Ryan. Leo Ryan. Yeah. And she said he must have had, she, he read her affidavit prior to visiting. And she probably just could not fathom what was going on. And had to because, see it for himself. And had to see it for himself. But she thought he was like a goodwill, goodwill person just mm-hmm. trying to figure out. And Deborah's mother never told her this. Her mother had escaped Nazi Germany. What? Only to come back into another situation. And unfortunately, she had to leave her mother behind in wow. Jonestown. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, he's he is so manipulative. Mm-hmm. Like, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. while Ryan's group was there, they actually ended up being passed, like, a note from some members of the commune. Mm-hmm basically asking for their help and getting them out which terrifying. is scary yeah it's um, actually terrifying yeah so the next day ryan's group along with a very small group of defectors left jonestown and while waiting on the airstrip to leave were ambushed by gunmen that were sent by jones ryan hmm. ended up dying along with a reporter and a cameraman from nbc and some female temp- uh, temple defectors Ryan alone was shot more than 20 times. <gasps> yeah. So while this was happening and basically like the moment that Ryan's group left, Marceline Jones, which is Jones's wife, broadcasted to the public that everything was fine and that everything was okay and that they should all just go back to their homes. Did they shoot him just like in person or like? were they leaving and then they shot him they were like leaving to go on the airship and they just got like ambushed so deborah layton the survivor her brother is the one that shot them Mm, yeah jones in my readings of this it was larry layton yeah jones said that he would he told the people of the commune like it i'm it's just gonna work out this way but somebody in their group is going to kill him he apparently Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me let me let me address that statement. Not him, but that somebody was going to shoot the pilot of mm. the plane. Yeah. She said that he was under the impression that he was just saving 900 people. Like he really did wow. not think that it was going to be bad and she was like, "If I'm going to be honest with myself, had I not left, I would have been the I, if they gave me a gun, I'd have done it." Like they were so secluded. Yeah, put in the same position, she would have done it too. Yeah, isn't that terrifying? That is terrifying. Yeah. Um. So, basically, the ambushes happened. Marcel comes on the radio. She says it's all fine. And while this, uh, and while members were going home, uh, a large metal tub with grape flavored Kool Aid was made, and this was actually this time poisoned with diphenhydramine, promethazine, uh, chlorpromazine, chloroquine, chlorohydrate, diazepam, and cyanide. My god. Yeah. So it'll make them sleepy too. <sighs> yeah. Damn. So 30 minutes after the all clear was made by Marceline Jones, 
Jim Jones now decides to make an announcement and asks that all members come back to the pavilion. Um, mm-hmm. On the internet, there is a tape that is known as the death tape, which is 44 minutes in length and records this meeting where Jones says, and I quote, one of those people on that plane is going to shoot the pilot. I know that. I didn't plan it, but I know what's going to happen. They're going to shoot that pilot and down comes the plane into the jungle. And we yes. better, and we had better not have any of our children left when it's over because they'll parachute in here on us, end quote. Someone on the tape voices a concern that says if the kids were captured, that they'd be turned into fascists and grow up to be dummies. And Jones then urged the members of the commune to commit revolutionary suicide. I also, just to add to that, mm-hmm. with the murder of Leah Ryan, mm-hmm. I guess what Larry Layton did was he pretended to be a Jamestown defector, said that he wanted to leave, but he actually was doing that to kill them. Oh. Deborah said that I cannot, oh, Larry believed that he was saving his wife, their unborn child, and all the other residents of the encampment by sacrificing his own life. I cannot defend what my brother did except to say that he believed he was saving the lives of 900 people by taking the lives of traitors. He had no idea Leo Ryan was going to be killed. Is that insane? So insane. She said, we were so defeated and indoctrinated that the world the rest of you lived in was foreign to us. Larry, and then he would believe that he was saving them, like I said. Yeah, I mean, in my readings, um, one of the cameramen, or maybe it was Leo Ryan himself, I could be wrong, but basically Mm -hmm. said that they were going to paint Jonestown in like an actually pretty positive light yeah um, to help them of, probably yeah because of how they were welcomed like it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be um mm-hmm. but Jones was just so paranoid that that really wasn't going to happen and that's why he did what he did damn yeah damn. so someone by the name of Christine Miller tried to talk Jones out of this revolutionary suicide and suggested that the commune go to Soviet to the Soviet Union as was you know discussed in the past but it was quickly apparent that this was not possible. The first to take the poison was a person named Ruletta Paul with her one-year-old infant. A syringe without a needle was used to drop the solution and squirt it into both of their mouths. Joan was trying to get people to take the solution, but after after the adults saw the poison start to do its work, they started to show a reluctance to die. For children, the poison worked within about five minutes and even less time for babies. And for adults, it took anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes to take hold. After the poison was taken, people were taken away down a wooden walkway leading outside of the pavilion. Hmm. Once Jones saw how people were reacting to those who had taken the poison, he told members to, quote, die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears or agony. They're going to be murdering these kids literally he told them i tell you i don't care how many screams you hear i don't care how many anguish cries death is a million times preferable to 10 more days of this life if you knew what was ahead of you if you knew what was ahead of you you'd be so glad to be stepping over tonight a defector by the name of odell rhodes said that a scene of hysteria along with confusion played out as parents watched their children die from the poison and that many members just walked around in a trance waiting to die. A survivor named Tim Carter said 
that a previous said that like a previous practice that day's lunch may have been tainted with sedatives. This crowd, though, was surrounded by armed guards, offering members a dilemma of death by poison or death by guard. So okay. basically, Odell was saying that like they had been through drills like this before. They might have, you know, they never even knew if their food was going to be poisoned or not. But this time, like they knew, like they knew. Yeah. As more temple people died, the guards themselves were now called to take the poison. Jones himself was found dead, lying next to a chair in the pavilion, between two other bodies with his head cushioned by a pillow. But he didn't die of poison. He died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head, supposedly. Uh, well, by the he's end, a coward. Yep. I, you know, in the thing that I was reading, it said that he actually had somebody else shoot him. That's why it's like confusing. People don't know if he yeah. did or if he had somebody else do it. Uh, by the end of the mass suicide, this event constituted the greatest single loss of American civilian life and a deliberate act until the events of 9-11 took place. By the end of the event, 909 people, with a third of them being children, had mm. died. Only 33 people managed to escape. Odell Rhodes, as previously mentioned, escaped death after offering to get a stethoscope and then hiding under a bed or under a building, I'm sorry. An individual by the name of Grover Davis, who was 79, actually survived due to missing the announcement initially due to being hard of hearing. And once mm -hmm. they realized what was happening, they laid down in a ditch and pretended to be dead. 76-year-old Hyacinth Thrash also realized what was going on and hid under her bed until everything had passed. Once the discovery of the mass suicide was found, Guyanese authorities waived the requirement for an autopsy since it was very clear how these individuals died. U.S. doctors performed autopsies in several bodies, which included that of Jim Jones. And apparently amongst the dead, there were also notes that were found. Found near Deborah, Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Deborah had said, because somebody had asked her, how do you feel about the phase that drink the Kool-Aid is such a popular phrase now? Mm-hmm. And she said it's a complete miss. No Thank you. Because, in fact, 140 babies, parents, and Cedar citizens in Jonestown were forced and murdered. Babies do not commit revolutionary suicide. Jones had planned it. We innocents had no idea. And then someone goes, you say we innocents. Does this mean you saw no illegal and moral activity before heading to Jonestown? And she goes, certainly the children and their parents saw nothing illegal. Even if one had, no one should have expected to die. Mm -hmm. We innocents refers to all those who went to Jonestown believing it was the paradise Jones talked about. Sent lovely movies from him. Got, they got movies from him on his visits there. However, in those days, only 30 members occupied the clearing in the middle of the formidable jungle. Jonestown was a failing agriculture community. It would have never been able to support 900 people or more. People, like you said, were stored in the warehouse cabins on bunk beds, including 70 and 80-year-olds. Mm -hmm. So she was basically saying, like, some of them knew, but most of those people were being coerced into it. Yeah. Like you said, because it was either you're going to drink this or you're about to be murdered by the guard. Right. And, like, for those kids, they had no better understanding of just being given what their parents gave them. Exactly. So one of That's the notes... So it's so sad. I mean, like, the first person being a woman with her, like, one-year-old child? Mm-mm. No. It's awful. Um, so one of the notes that was found was found near Marceline Jones' body, uh, which is Jim Jones' wife. 
-hmm. And it was typewritten note that was dated for the 18th of November of 1978 and was signed by Marceline and witnessed by Moore and Maria Katsari. And it stated, and I quote, I, Marceline Jones, leave all bank assets in my name to the Communist Party of the USSR. The above bank accounts are located in the Bank of Nova Scotia in Nassau, Bahamas. Please be sure that these assets do get to the USSR. I especially request that none of these are allowed to get into the hands of my adopted daughter, Suzanne Jones Cartmel. For anyone who finds this letter, please honor this request as it is most important to myself and my husband, James W. Jones. And an individual um, who they reference as Moore also left a note which stated, and I quote, I am at a point right now so embittered against the world that I don't know why I am writing this. Someone who finds it will believe I am crazy or believe in the barbed wire that does not exist in Jonestown. The last line, we died because you would not let us live in peace, is written in a different color ink. No other Mm. specific reference is made to the events of the day. Moore also wrote Jonestown, the most peaceful, loving community that ever existed. In addition, she stated, Jim Jones, the one who made this paradise possible, much to the contrary of the lies stated about Jim Jones being a power-hungry, sadistic, mean person who thought he was God of all things, and, quote, his hatred of racism, sexism, elitism, and mainly classism is what prompted him to make a new world for the people, a paradise in the jungle. The children loved it. So did everyone else. An individual by the name of Caroline Layton, um, their body, near their body, was found a handwritten note signed by Layton, witnessed by Katsari and Moore, dated 18th of November, 1978, stating, This is my last will and testament. I hereby leave all assets in my bank account to which I am a signatory to the Communist Party of the USSR. Interesting also to note, though, um, that jones who you know how we say like poison kool-aid he, mm-hmm. it wasn't kool-aid that was used really yeah they used uh something called flavor aid which was mistaken as kool-aid mm. and that's what led to that phrase that everybody hears oh nowadays God. called drinking the kool-aid so if you ever hear somebody tell you that you're drinking the kool-aid that's where that phrase came from which is wild um, so in the end, only one man by the name, uh, one man from the temple by the name of Larry Layton, who we've already talked about, Ever's was, brother. yep, found, uh, was tried in the United States for his involvement in the uh, uh, commune. And because he murdered that, he shot that plane down. Yeah, and for his involvement, basically, in the November 18th events. He was mm. found guilty of conspiracy and aiding and abetting in the murder of uh, Ryan which is the congressman and the attempted she murder. Actually still visits him apparently. And They're still she alive? Says, yeah. And she, wow. this was a couple and she said, um, he is a good man. He just was caught up in the wrong thing to be caring about. You know, so like he doesn't he had, like believe in this now or no. Wow. He was like, I genuinely believe like people were out to get us. Like, I did not know that we were so, like, you know, far rem- far removed from the world. They really trusted him. She yeah, was I also mean, the person, she ended up being 
Jones's person, like one of their her his aides, yeah. and she was asked to transfer that money internationally yes. to those bank accounts. Like, yeah, it's like, actually, it's kind of like that saying that's like, "Don't bite the hand that feeds you," mm-hmm. because like they're being fed all this information, but like, what did they have to believe that it was any different than what he was saying? Like, Nothing. she goes. A few in Jones's inner circle believe there was no way out for them. They had participated in questionable situations in the U.S. If they returned, they would be imprisoned. This was a belief propagated by Jones constantly, that just by being members, we were already enemies of the government. I also believed on my escape that I would be arrested and imprisoned because Jones told me I was on the FBI and CIA's most wanted list for being a signatory on foreign bank accounts. But when she did come back, that wasn't true. Mm. She was not arrested. Like, yeah, people I was, like Glissandor. I was going to say that there were also like some top ranking officials who didn't end up partaking in the revolutionary suicide because yeah. they were sent on that mission that she was explaining about like being given the commune's assets and being given very explicit instructions on where to take that money and where to deposit it and where to like access all the bank accounts. So they were kind of spared in a way that uh, revolutionary suicide um but ryan was found guilty of conspiracy and aiding and abetting in the murder of ryan and the attempted murder of u.s embassy official richard dwyer that's larry right larry layton yeah and was sentenced to life in prison though he was released in 2002 another man charles beekman pleaded guilty to the attempted murder of a young girl and served a five-year prison term in guyana she said that she's always stayed in touch with Larry, whether he was in a dungeon in Guyana, jail in San Francisco, or at the federal penitentiary where he served out a 20-year sentence. Yeah. Larry is a kind, decent man. I've learned over the years it's very dangerous to point fingers and scoff at another's experiences there but for the grace of God and, and I, or something. And she also said, oddly enough, not oddly enough, but this has not changed her experience on religion or anything. Like, if wow. anything, it's just shown her, like, just because somebody's charismatic and handsome and trustworthy doesn't necessarily mean they're safe and good people. Right. You know, like they were so blinded with the fact that he was offering so much. It's like that saying, if something is too good to be true, it is. It probably is. It always is. <laughs> yes. And it was interesting because like when I was looking up um, like pictures of Jonestown and stuff, I for a hot second thought it was kind of like a tent city. Um, Mm. and later on when I was doing closer inspection of the photos I realized it wasn't a tent city and that it was actually just people a picture of all the dead people post um, mass suicide I have seen those photos and it's It's, sad it's so sad I mean like I, I read a thing where it said like this woman in Guyana was who was not part of Jonestown but lived near it Mm-hmm. just woke up one day and just saw 900 dead people like, well that's the other thing too i mean like the guy and these officials weren't like alerted necessarily well that, i like, mean it's not like they they're not corrupt or anything well right during this but, time like, they had to at first piece together what had happened because yeah. it's not like they were just told like oh they committed revolutionary suicide like this mm-hmm. is it like they had to figure out like oh they all drank something that was poisoned and you know this is yeah. where it led them but that's crazy it's, wild. I, it, yeah. it's also crazy to think that it really wasn't that long ago 
it wasn't no it wasn't and it's she they were like what made you want to join this right and like i said she thought it was a humanitarian cause but she's like well, he was in the newspaper he was with officials like mm-hmm. he was he was on the board for san francisco like you said like you see this and you're like surely this is somebody who's vetted Right, oh, right. I but mean, if, like, if you've learned anything, like politicians are not necessarily vetted. Like they're just no. somebody who's able to sell themselves. At the end of the day, he was a really big con man. Yeah, I mean, like Jim Jones and the People's Temple helped to put some people like into positions of power and back them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if it wasn't for the negative press that came out, like they realistically could have continued to gain support. I mean, they did yeah. obviously. Like they left and built the kind of following that they want to do elsewhere where they could practice it more freely but yeah it seems like most people when they got there knew that they had gotten duped i was gonna say it feels like once people arrived from what i read, they were like they were like how oh, are they gonna tell anybody they can't they can't i mean they're stuck and like if like what i said at the beginning held true that once they arrived they needed that express permission to leave they realistically were never going to get it i think it i think it is because she was mentioning people had to hide in the forest to try to escape yeah so it seems like they really thought they were going to go to this giant utopia they take this giant long journey to go here only oh to be so there. isolated to have from to everybody that you know it is it she writes to your kids like sleep in bunks like it will literally she also mentioned because um she had written a book about it Mm. called um let me just find out what that book Mm. is called real quick she well let me just give it back her name is Sibra Layton at 18 years old and home from boarding school she joined people's temple moved into their campus dorm at northern california by the age of 21, she was a trusted aide to Jim Jones and a signatory for millions of dollars in foreign bank accounts. the age of 24, believing she was heading to the organization's tropical paradise, she'd realized she had entered a concentration camp. Within weeks of her escape from Jonestown, she wrote an affidavit to the U.S. government requesting for their help, like you said, for over the 900 people being held without against their will. Six months later, in four days, just before the tragedy, she was in Washington, D.C., giving testimony testimony before the state department officials requested help and she was saying that the bbc wanted to make a documentary on it and she was hesitant to return because she also was aware of the fact that people of can't say it what's the country they're in diana thank you um that they would have some resentment towards her, you know, or be even offended that she would come back to a place like where this tragedy occurred. Mm-hmm. And I guess they had told her that about a hundred years before that, there was a, another white man who led people to Guyana mm-hmm. and essentially did a mass suicide event wow. as well. And she realized in that moment that he Jones must have known that story also. Also, like, that's freaky. Like, speaking of like another mass suicide event, like I think that there was a group of the People's Temple in the United States who mm-hmm. had heard that they were going to be doing the revolutionary suicide and also did it here. 
Really? Yeah, because I think, so from what I read, there was like efforts made to like fly the bodies of those who had died in Guyana back to the United States. Mm. But all, but I think, I think it's like a really small number, like literally nine people weren't taken back. Um, And that for the United States, where there was the mass suicide event, it was a mass grave that was dug, I believe, to uh, account for that. I know there's that Heaven's Gate suicide, but I don't think that one's related. That was also probably Heaven's Gate. It was kind of similar where they all did like a mass suicide and thought that they were going to die and go become extraterrestrial beings. Oh. Yeah. I think this one was literally just linked. Like, I think it was just like a branch of the People's Temple and like some other state. That's scary, though. Like, to think that somebody can be so isolated. To not even know what is going like I can't even fathom the isolation because of social media and just having access to the internet yeah like you're really never truly alone anymore but then yeah. like you really were alone you could be alone alone <laughs> like a lo- like nobody could track you nobody like, no IP address tracking I was like, just you can't even say, send a message it's really hard for me to imagine like a time before the internet because like yeah, I mean, quite honestly, that's all we've ever known. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those people, like being off the grid, being as isolated as they were, like, in a it's, way, it's dangerous. Yeah, to be that isolated, but also it's not that dangerous if you're in a good community, right? But clearly, this was not a good community. But being isolated from the world like that, like just and having one person be that form of communication to and from the world like that's it's almost like somebody being the communication to and from god being the only person that can speak to them it's that whole like desire to like want to have a greater purpose and you're like this is the man who knows everything yeah i I need to only speak to him let me confide all my issues in him now they have weapon against you or people she's confiding and those positions of power, like, oh, well, God spoke to me and God told me to do this. Like, It's like, did God tell you to do that or did you tell yourself to do that? Which is interesting because, like like I said, when I was reading Jill Duggar's book, like Counting the Cost, she talks about, like, how when she was dealing with some of the issues of her father, like, her father was like, well, I'll pray on it and I will pray that, you know, God wants me to do this. And at one point there was a dispute between her dad and, like, somebody who he wanted to like do an interview basically on the show mm-hmm. and he this person to Jill Duggar's Jim dad, Bob to Jim Bob was like yeah. well to be quite honest like I don't think that this is you know the kind of ministry that like we should be supporting or something yeah. something along those lines and Jim Bob was just like well I prayed on it and God's told me that this is really what we should be doing and Jill was just like in that moment I was really concerned that my dad thought that he was the one to be conveying God's message. It's like, and then they conflate the idea like, Oh God speaking to me, then I'm right. Part like, of God. Reading Jill's memoir made me realize that Jim Bob thought that what he was doing was a ministry. And it's the same thing that you kind of be equating to Jim Jones. Like Jim mm-hmm. Jones did this in the sense of it being an agricultural ministry in the country of Guyana. So like to other exactly. people, even though he's saying that like, this is a, you know, stand against com- or fascism and capitalistic culture. Um, to him, it's also being in very slim part, though, I will say, 
done in the guise of the ministry. Mm-hmm. It's really dangerous to have only one way to communicate with God and it not being yourself because then you are can you have no idea whether you're speaking to God, right? In parentheses, in quotations, not parentheses. Well, also or like, are you just speaking to a guy who has too much power? Or to a guy who's obviously abusing his power because yeah. if he's already very infatuated with the influence that religion has upon people he's very under that hitler stalin all those people have right he has a very in-depth understanding of how these people twisted their words and utilized their faith in a weaponized format to command the kind of power and will that they wanted to by telling people that like a seek the community that you're looking for with me and mm-hmm. i am this vessel through which higher beings are essentially using me as their mouthpiece but is it you who's talking or is it god who's talking most of the time it's really them deborah said even if if jones was able to escape and nobody else was out and it was just her and him he would still swear that he never did anything wrong like he would be in complete denial about the fact that anything even happened to anybody who opposes him he's just gonna say that like they're obviously following you don't understand the mission you don't get what we're trying to do well remember that like part of the mission of the people's temple was to be able to dispel the opiate that is like you know that uh i had it um let me find it it was at the beginning um the uh, people's temple uh allowed people to practice apostolic socialism and taught that those who had been drugged with the opiate of religion had been had to be brought to enlightenment. Interesting. Which is interesting because at one point, as you said, he described himself as like, if you want me to be your savior, I'll be your savior. If you want me to be your yeah. god, I'll be your god. I'll but be you're, anything you need. But you created the temple telling people that they needed to dispel or, you know, come to terms with this opiate, which is a drug, which is he's equating a drug an addiction to religion and deborah even mentioned that it was a sober community mm-hmm. but he was the only one doing drugs and he's the one who gets the exception he's the one who yep. gets the better living situation it was a celibate community but he trigger warning sexually assaulted people men and women mm-hmm. to get some sort of sin out of them you know like to make them break like there's a reason why he uses all these vices against people Mm -hmm. like it's terrifying to think that they had to go through i can't even imagine what it's like to go on like you get this video from him right you're like wow like we're going on a nice mission trip to a tropical place Mm -hmm. and then you pull up to a warehouse full of beds with no food to sustain you no access to the outside world and then you realize you just made the biggest screw up of your life like that must be so hard for them and all of your assets now belong to him yeah including your family that is so insane Mm -hmm. that is so insane they got so many people died just like just from his word Mm -hmm. people are powerful words are powerful mass hysteria is powerful yeah well, when when a group is doing something, you're like, surely if 900 people are doing something, you're going to obviously be peer pressured into doing it's it. It's like, 
If all your friends drop off the bridge, would you jump too? If 900 people did, I might think about it. I'd be like, well, what are they like, jumping away from? Because if what do they jump- know that I don't know? Exactly. Like, if they think that jumping's the answer, like, then maybe I yeah. should jump. But that's- it's it's very interesting to learn. Just like, a, I didn't really necessarily, I didn't know that. Like, I wish I knew Jones more of these was- people's backgrounds that like exactly shows to the fact there and like exactly. And it also could just be the case of like you got into this, you go on this retreat. And now you're stuck. It may not even yeah. have a greater purpose well, than that. Once, even if they realize that they had messed up, it's like either adjust to the situation you're in really fast or die. Or die. Yeah. 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 But we have a minute and 52 seconds left. Um, and, and that's I it. I for... have no more comments. Do you? Yeah. No, I just. It's people need to be more skeptical, skeptical of things. Like you said, if it's too good to be true, it definitely is. It most likely is, yeah. Though now in today's society with technology, it'd be pretty hard to find. Well, yeah, I, I mean, should, I should, it's I actually pretty that. easy. It's, it's not get, that hard. <laughs> the yeah. algorithm will not work in your favor. Uh, yeah, there's, it's, a, it's a different type of cult, but it is still happening. There's a community for everything online. Yeah. Well, Which is very scary, but I want to thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of the Case Time Podcast. Uh, we will catch you guys next week. I don't know what topic we're going to talk about, but we'll find we'll out. We'll catch it. Find out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I hope that you guys have a good week. Same here. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.